Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Liz Moody Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're finding out these secrets to happiness from the world's longest study, learning how to recognize and heal childhood trauma, or diving deep into eye health and vision. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Sarah Villafranco to the podcast. Sarah received her MD from Georgetown University Medical School and spent years in emergency medicine before founding Osmia Skincare. She is famous for her science-backed approach to natural skincare and for being able to help heal some of the trickiest skincare conditions like acne, eczema, and dermatitis. I actually met her in real life in Colorado because so many of you recommended that we hang out when you found out that I was in Carbondale, which is where she lives, and then we went on a hike, and I was blown away by her knowledge and her very singular approach to healing skin, and I knew that I had to have her on the podcast. She also resolutely doesn't use the word anti-aging at her company or in her marketing, which is incredibly, incredibly rare for a skincare brand, and I love it so much, and we talk about the reasons behind that in this episode. We also get into the science behind how your skin health impacts your whole body health and vice versa, the differences between eczema and dermatitis, and what you should do right now to start healing both the hidden beauty and home care ingredient that's wreaking havoc on your skin, exactly how to treat acne from its root, how to heal dry skin even when nothing else works, debunking myths about your skin's barrier layer, why slugging might be making your skin worse, and why you might want to try egging instead, how to begin busting toxic aging beliefs in your own life, and so much more. As always, we would both love to hear your thoughts as you're listening, so definitely screenshot and tag us on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and Sarah is at Sarah Villafranco. Also, please do share this episode. Sarah shares some really incredible methods to start breaking free of societal beauty standards. On top of her wealth of skincare knowledge, she really looks at skincare different than anybody that I have ever talked to, and I would just love for this episode to reach people all over the world. Right now, I am traveling across the U.S. on my book tour for 100 Ways to Change Your Life, and I am just loving getting to meet and talk to and hug so many of you. It is the highlight of my year. So many cities are sold out, but check out lizmoody.com slash tour to see if there are still tickets available for the city nearest you. We are also adding a bunch of stops in the South and Southeast due to popular demand. I also love seeing all of your Instagram stories about 100 Ways to Change Your Life. Life. And it just makes me so happy to see how much you are all loving it, to see you incorporating it into your life. If you are loving it, I would really appreciate a quick review on Amazon or Goodreads. It is the best way to spread the book to new readers. And I want to get these life-changing tips into the hands of as many people as possible. Thank you so much to everybody reading, everybody gifting the book, everybody talking about the book, everybody using the book in your book club, everybody who's already written those reviews. I see all of you. I appreciate all of you so much. And it just, uh, it makes me so happy. I'm already hearing stories of people who have used the tips and the tools in the book to change their life. And it makes my heart so full. I can't even explain it. Okay, let's get right into it with Dr. Sarah Villafranco. Sarah, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. 
Your background is in emergency medicine, but now you formulate skincare products. I would love to hear a little bit about that journey. And then I'd also love to hear how the perspective of being an ER doctor influences your formulations. Yeah. It has been a little bit of a twisty, turny journey. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor, but eventually I'd like to start a skincare company. It was more a feeling of inner turbulence at the practice that I was seeing in the emergency department. A lot of medicine makes sense and a lot of it doesn't. And I was having really a hard time reconciling the part of me that wasn't aligned with the type of medicine I was forced to practice. So after about 10 years in the emergency room, I just thought, I'm not sure that I'm actually improving people's ability to be healthier. The more I took care of patients, the more I realized that our health is created or destroyed by our daily habits. And daily habits are a really hard thing to change from the emergency room. So I had that sense of, I think I want to do something where I'm helping people create health instead of putting out the fires that result from people having health problems. Just to sit on that for a second, when I picture the emergency room, I picture car crashes and things like that. How were people's daily habits impacting them in ending up in the emergency room? I would say about 10 to 15 percent of emergency medicine is really an emergency. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so what are you seeing? Colds, urinary tract infections, substance abuse disorders, a lot of primary care, and in part because the way the healthcare system is set up today ends up in the emergency room. There were certainly cases during every shift where I knew, okay, we have a finite problem that needs to be solved here right now. But a lot of my shifts ended with a heavy feeling of, oof, I just don't know if I actually helped shape that person's health in a positive way. Like I just put a Band-Aid on a situation and sent them home doing the best I could with the time I had. So then when you say habits are impacting people ending up there, what type of habits are you referring to? I mean, you name it, from the time you get out of bed till the time you go to bed at night. It's really what you put in your body. It's how you're managing your stress, all the stuff you talk about day in and day out. So how does that perspective of being an emergency room clinician or an emergency room doctor and feeling like you need to get to people earlier down the line, how does that shape how you started to develop skincare products? Well, the actual path that I ended up on was an accident. So I was feeling that dissatisfaction and I had just had our second daughter and my mom died from pancreatic cancer at age 64. We were all in her house in Washington, D.C. together, and my daughter, who was three months old, was asleep in the next room, and I was in the room with my mom when she died, so I actually heard her last heartbeat. And this crazy, expandy, collapsy thing happened with the timeline of my life in that moment, where I was like, okay, baby daughter, dying mom, this is going to go fast. All of this is going to go fast. So around that time, in my grieving hormone storm, I was like looking around and I saw a class for soap making. And I thought, God, I haven't done anything creative in a really long time. Because when you're in the emergency room, you're not like, I'm going to give you 14 milligrams of Lasix today because that just feels good to me, right? <laughs> it's not a creative outlet. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's totally different. I'm going to go try it. It was this incredibly cool blend of 
hard science where if you are not mixing things in the right proportions, you're going to end up with what I like to call not soap and with artistry. So you get to blend in scent and color and form like the swoopy tops on our soaps. That stuff was so fun to play with. But I got to keep the hard science part that I like about medicine. That's what I like about how you approach your formulations. You have such a deep understanding of the science behind each ingredient that you're choosing and everything that you're using. And I was wondering if you could use some of that science to help us understand a little bit better when we're choosing products. There's so much debate in the skincare world, especially about how do we know what to trust? How do we know what's effective? How do you approach that for yourself and for your brand? That's a great question. Just to back up a little bit, in terms of how then I decided to leave medicine, I had a hard time saying to myself, I'm going to go home and I'm going to say to my husband, I'm like not going to be a doctor anymore. I'm actually going to make soap for a living now. And it just felt like too much of a departure. But then I sat down and started doing some homework. And I was like, okay, when you're thinking about daily habits, one of the things that all of us do every day, most of us anyway, is some form of personal care. We're using products, whether it's in a shower or applying products to our skin. There's a daily habit. And let me break it down. So I started looking at a lot of the ingredients that people were using on their skin every day. And I was like, God, there's a lot of room for improvement here. So then I started doing homework. And I basically would dive into parabens for a little bit and phthalates for a little bit and petrochemicals, et cetera. I picked categories that I thought, okay, there are enough question marks about this family of ingredients that I'd like to keep them out of the formulations. It's not so much that there's hard science that parabens will cause infertility, right? There's not a study that proves that. But there are enough studies that show things like, okay, the regular use of parabens to the point that you can detect them in someone's urine will shorten their menstrual cycle. When you're trying to get pregnant, if you're looking at a 72-hour window, and now you're shortening that window by however many hours, right? It's enough evidence that I thought, well, can we just do it without them? Let's not use them. Then let's just figure out a better plan. And it was like that for parabens, for phthalates, for sulfates, for 1,4-dioxane or ethoxylates, which is a big category. Some of them are for human health, and some of them are more for environmental health reasons. Ethoxylates for me is more about the environmental health, water contamination, than about the actual human health, which is more like phthalates and parabens and synthetic fragrance, which I think is the demon. So and synthetic fragrance, the big issue with that is that we simply don't have standards or rules for what can be in it, right? Synthetic fragrance is kind of a blanket term that can mean any number of things. Yeah. And it's more about the ability to not disclose what the ingredients are that comprise. Like a synthetic fragrance could be completely fine or it could be completely not fine, but we have no way of knowing as a consumer which one it is. That's right. And for the most part, if you're talking about a synthetic fragrance that lasts, you know how when you get in the elevator and somebody has just been in the elevator and you smell their Tide detergent or whatever it is, most of those really long-lasting, unchanging scents are stabilized by phthalates. And phthalates are a category that bother me. Why? Endocrine disruption stuff. There's enough various body systems that can get disrupted by phthalates that I find them concerning. I find it fascinating that when you get a hormonally related cancer, doctors will usually sit you down and say, let's go through your skincare products. But until that moment, 
people act like, no, these things are completely fine. You're being crazy for worrying about them. So cancer and pregnancy are the two top reasons that people switch to natural skincare. And I find that frustrating because I'm like, let's do it before those things. Because then when you get pregnant, you're going to know, hey, I've been using great ingredients on my skin for the last decade. No problem. There isn't any great science saying that X skincare ingredient causes cancer. But since so many cancers have endocrine components to them, I think it's a little bit silly to think that these endocrine disrupting ingredients aren't playing a role in the development of some cancers. We just don't have the hard data to prove it yet. You talk about this too, the stuff that you're doing every single day that you're doing all over your body on a regular basis, that is the stuff that is maybe more worth paying attention to versus a skincare product that's just on your face that you're obsessed with that you use irregularly. Like I have friends who are like, well, I would never get rid of my long lasting lipstick that I wear out for special events. And I'm like, don't. That's not your biggest problem. The things that you're doing most often are the things that are going to impact you the most and the things that probably make the most sense to pay attention to. Yeah. And not even just most often, but it's a surface area thing. It's math, right? So the skin from your neck down makes up 91% of the surface area of your body. So if you just switch to a natural bar soap and a natural body oil, and that's your body care routine, you've cleaned up 91% of your act right there. Go ahead and use the crappy mascara if that's bringing you light and joy, you know? That's how I feel about organic sheets. I'm probably not going to wear all organic clothing because it's really hard to find very cute, affordable organic clothing. But if you do your sheets, that's a third of your life. And then you're already in organic fabric a third of your life. Yeah. Just make sure you're careful about what you're washing them in. <laughs> yes, that too. What would you say to people who say your skin is meant to be a protective barrier between you and the world and thus the products that you're putting on your skin aren't actually penetrating your body? I would say that's incorrect. And the other thing that's incorrect is to say everything you put on your skin is penetrating your body. So something between zero and 100% of the products you use on your skin get into your blood system. And we know this because we're able to detect things like parabens and phthalates in your urine. So that's how it's getting in there for the most part. So it depends on the molecule size and it depends on a variety of other things, your level of hydration and the humidity in the air. I mean, there's a bunch of different factors that can impact what your barrier layer looks like at any given moment in time. We're going to dive in deep to the barrier layer later, but if we're talking about keeping our barrier layer strong, are we literally talking about making our skin less porous to outside elements penetrating our body? I wouldn't say less porous because you have the number of pores on your body and they don't open and close. I always remind people they're pores, not doors. But I would say that if you are super dehydrated, for example, you may be slightly more likely to absorb something that you wouldn't have absorbed if your body was more hydrated. Because your body's like, I need nutrients, I like I'm going to pull get something them. in. Yeah. That's or interesting. you could do a situation where your body is super well hydrated so that something you absorb through your skin gets processed more quickly and eliminated more quickly. There are just all these micro circumstances that can affect how things get absorbed. That's interesting. I love your ability to see the nuance too, because I think in so many of these conversations, 
the nuance is lost. It's like, you don't need to do any natural products. You need to do all natural products. Anything that's synthetic is bad. Everything that's natural is good. Everything's penetrating your skin all the time. Nothing's penetrating your skin ever. It's so rare in life that anything that universal of a statement is true. And I love that your approach with the science and with the how these things are used in actuality is really refreshing. I'm sort of a gray area person. I think there are very few nevers and alwayses that apply. And most of the time, there's just a common sense blending of information that we can use to come up with our right spot. Yeah, I agree completely. Okay, let's dive into some skincare conditions. You are famous for helping people with conditions like acne, eczema, dermatitis, when nothing else works. You healed my dry skin, which I'm very grateful for. So I want to go through one by one, and I want to like figure out what we're getting wrong about these conditions and new ways to treat them. Let's start with acne. When somebody has acne, what are some things that you see them commonly doing that might be actually hurting their skin? There's a long list. Unfortunately, the traditional approach to acne tends to be a very, very drying approach. And I don't think it takes into account the feedback system loop nature of our skin. At the beginning of the interview, you asked what my work in the emergency department did in terms of helping me think about formulations. And what it does for me is I'm reminded constantly that the skin is part of a system. You cannot unhook your skin from the system it contains. And so when you're using products on your skin that are drying, 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 the message then that gets put into the feedback loop is, hey, I'm getting real dry up here at the surface. Help me out, right? Then eventually it's going to call on your body to create more sebum, which then can create more congestion and inflammation, et cetera. People who are drying their skin out with a lot of acids and harsh products, that will ultimately create more trouble. I think another thing I see a lot is people who are exfoliating their skin excessively. And so it's natural to feel like I have these breakouts, I want to scrub them off of my face. I understand that feeling, but it just doesn't work. So that's another one I see frequently. So replace the word for me. If you don't want to dry out your skin to get rid of your acne, what do you want to do to your skin to get rid of your acne? Acne at its core is an inflammatory condition. And Certainly, there are people for whom hormones is a really big element of it. You want to work with someone if you're dealing with more hormonal acne. So for example, polycystic ovarian syndrome, those types of situations, you want to be working with hopefully like a functional medicine person or somebody who is able to take all of that into account. But anti-inflammatory ingredients is one of the key pieces for me about treating acne. So I think my favorite, my most under-talked about acne ingredient is black cumin seed oil. I started studying black cumin seed oil when my mom died because it is one of nature's most powerful anti-inflammatories. It has a compound called timoquinone, and it's been studied, unfortunately, in rats with pancreatic cancer specifically. And that compound there are multiple studies that have shown that it can slow and or eliminate the development of pancreatic cancer in rats. So I actually take it orally every day. I take like a black cumin seed oil gummy 
Do you feel like you're predisposed to pancreatic cancer? Is there a genetic component there? Yeah. And not in every case, but my mom died at 64, her brother at 52, and their mother in her 40s. So there's. I'm hoping I got my dad's genes on that side. And you got your gummies. <laughs> How do we know if our acne is hormonally rooted? That's a great question. I like to say all acne is hormonal. It's just that hormones aren't just estrogen and testosterone. There are a lot of hormones. And one of the biggest, most active hormones in acne is cortisol. So stress management actually plays an incredible role in acne management as well. That's so annoying because I feel like having to deal with acne is stressful. A hundred percent. It's like this it feedback It is a loop. perpetuating cycle, yeah. as are many skin conditions. What else? Dermatitis. Okay. Talk to Ex me about that. Eczema and dermatitis, the stress looping that happens with those two conditions is wild. Would you say if somebody is dealing with any skin condition, basically, that they should maybe pay attention to their cortisol levels? I think stress is a key factor in almost all dermatologic conditions and, frankly, in a lot of other human disease. I absolutely love a low-lift daily habit that has a big payoff over time. It's why I am always asking podcast guests for little hacks and tips that we can all do easily to live a better life without sacrificing a ton of time or energy. And that's why I love AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I know there are a lot of people who wonder if AG1 is overhyped because so many people talk about it, but in this case, it's just one of those things that's super hyped because it's actually that good. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day, no matter how the rest of the day goes, especially for gut health and immune support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. You can also mix it into juice or a smoothie, but I genuinely love the taste, so I go with water. And boom, you have this incredible insurance that you've gotten your foundational nutrition in from that one-minute habit in your day. I'm always trying to eat veggie-packed, nutritionally dense meals, but I am not perfect, so AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and adaptogens to cover the bases. I love how it gives me some gentle energy right after I drink it without any jitter so it doesn't stoke my anxiety like caffeine. It gives me a ton of mental clarity and clears any sluggishness or brain fog that I have, which is why even though a lot of people start their day with it, I actually prefer to drink mine in the early afternoon when I have that 3 p.m. slump. And it is not a placebo effect. AG1 has so many ingredients that have been extensively researched for their brain health effects like rhodiola root dry extract, hawthorn berry, and rosemary to name just a few. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything, and they are third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a one-year supply of their amazing vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. It's no secret that making healthier choices can come at a cost. I'm talking both time and money. So when I find a hack to make healthy living a little bit less of a strain, I get so excited. That is why I absolutely love talking about Thrive Market. 
Ordering your groceries on Thrive Market saves you time and so much money. Plus, it makes eating well way simpler. You can do your shopping right on their website and get everything you may need from frozen food to pantry items to cleaning supplies in the comfort of your own home. Say goodbye to going to three different grocery stores to find your favorite non-toxic skincare, your BPA-free parchment paper, and your grass-fed burgers. Thrive has it all. The process is so easy, and they go the extra mile by remembering exactly what you buy so you can easily re-add things to your cart. You can also set up a subscription for any basics that you know you'll be buying every week or month to set it and forget it. There is nothing that I love more than being able to cognitively offload restocking our toilet paper, our protein bars, our olive oil, all of those types of things. Not only do they have a wide selection, but you're going to be saving money on everything too. Being a Thrive Market member means that you get insane deals. On average, you save 30%, 30% each time you make an order. They also guarantee the lowest price on every product that they sell. And if you find a lower price somewhere else, they will match it, which is absolutely wild. It means this is a no-risk situation. In my last box, I stocked up on the Four Sigmatic Protein Powder, which is one of my favorites. I got Root Beer Olipop, which is the cheapest that I have seen it anywhere. Some Cleveland Kraut, which I eat by the spoonful. It helps with sugar cravings, and it just gets my fermented food dose in. And I saved more than $40 just in that single order. I also love how the shipping is carbon neutral. Everything is carefully vetted for quality of ingredients and sourcing. And their amazing one-for-one membership matching program means that when you sign up for a membership, you are also sponsoring a membership for a family in need, which I just love so much. The Liz Moody Podcast listeners can join Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order. That's on top of the amazing savings you already get with your membership, plus a free $60 gift. Just go to thrivemarket.com slash Liz Moody. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Liz Moody for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Join now and start getting your time, money, and energy back today. What are your favorite stress management resources or tips? Meditation. I mean, it's so sort of pedestrian at this point to talk about meditation, but I just posted on my story yesterday, my little whoop tracker. You can see it. It's in the numbers. You sit down to meditate, your respiratory rate drops, your heart rate drops, and that 10 to 20 minutes a day of providing that reassuring feedback to your body is so valuable in terms of regulating your cortisol. I just sit and I will either listen to an app or a meditation. I like Sam Harris a lot. I'll use Insight Timer and they'll just sit and breathe. I love Insight Timer. They have free sound baths on there and they have so many free meditations, but they have a 20-minute sound bath from this guy called the Sonic Yogi. And so I'll put it on. It's a 20-minute meditation and I just feel like I'm at like a fancy spa and it puts me in the energy of meditating so quickly. I've meditated in cabs and on planes and blah, blah, blah. But making your space, making the noise in your headphones feel like it's conducive to getting into that state of mind is really helpful. Yeah. And lighting a candle. And, you know, of course, I use Osmia products to put all over my body and get the smells going. Oh, my gosh. The smell thing is huge for me. I've started putting oils on my hands and then I just like rub them together and I sniff really deeply. Like they'll have you do sometimes at the beginning of massage. And that changes my entire mental state. But it actually does. So it's not just in your mind. Yeah. It's in your brain. Okay. Tell me why. Because essential oils have been 
caught up in a lot of controversy and there's a lot of misinformation about essential oils and aromatherapy and people are like, is this bullshit? Is this real? In the most science grounded way that you can explain to me why. So yes, there is a lot of information that is terrible and false about essential oils. And a lot of traditional aromatherapy tactics don't make a ton of sense to me, right? But here's what does make sense. You have 12 cranial nerves. Of the 12 cranial nerves, only one of them has direct contact with the external environment, and that's your olfactory nerve. So the little finger-like nerve endings of your olfactory nerve poke through something called the cribriform plate, which is behind your nose. And so they're actually nerve endings contacting the external environment. So scent molecules come in, they connect with those nerve endings, and then they essentially take the express lane into your limbic system. And your limbic system houses your emotion and houses memory. It's like when you walk into a room and all of a sudden you feel a little nostalgic or you feel something and then eventually you realize that it's the smell of the cedar trunk over there and that you used to play in your grandmother's cedar closet and your grandma died and so you had that weird wistful feeling in the room and all that happened before you could figure out what the connections were. That's how powerful the system is. And it traces back to memories you don't even know you have. So when you have that feeling of something soothing you or calming you, it's on this very lizard brain level. And it's very real. If somebody wanted to start out and try to experience some of the calming benefits, are there ones that you find are most universally calming or grounding? What do you think I'm going to say? Lavender. You got it. That is one of the more studied essential oils. So there are reasonable studies about lavender in a hospital setting, in a preoperative setting, in before giving birth type of setting where people have much better experiences, people have less pain postoperatively. There's actually good data about the effect of lavender. Okay. Just to wrap up acne, if somebody is listening, they have acne, they've been struggling with it, can you give them one homework assignment, something that they should do today? to begin to be on a path that might help them? With acne, I tend to have people start at a diet level. Look at things like dairy and sugar, which are two of the bigger inflammatory agents in our diets. And pulling those two things back, I think, can have a pretty profound effect on people's skin. And I would say probably in general, switching your thinking to be like, what is inflaming me and how can I be as uninflamed as possible, whether it's topically or internally? I think that is a really good point. A lot of what you see on social, for me, feels like people punishing their skin. And that makes me so sad because I'm like, your skin's just communicating with you. That's all that's happening here is it's saying, hey, I need a little support and it needs to be different than what you're doing now. And if you can try to connect with your skin that way and say, I'm here. I got you. I see the signals you're putting out. Let's try this. And you know what? Let's try it for three or four weeks, not for three days, and then decide it doesn't work. But let's really try to recalibrate. And then if that doesn't work, we'll try something else. I'm here. I got you. Would you get a hormone panel or get your hormones tested in some way if you're struggling with acne? I think I would try the diet stuff first and see what happens. And then I would stop using things that are 
stripping and pulling oil from your skin constantly so that you can decrease that feedback loop, that call for help from the surface of your skin saying, I'm so dry, please create more sebum. Eczema, would you treat that in the same way? Should we be thinking of that as an inflammation-related thing or is that completely different? It's a little different. It is inflammatory, but I would say if everybody stopped using sodium laurel and sodium laureth sulfate and synthetic fragrance, a lot of eczema would go away. I think SLS is really a difficult ingredient for people who struggle with eczema or dermatitis, and people are using SLS in more products than they know. They're using it in their shampoo. They're using it in their toothpaste. They're using it in their hand wash at the sink. They're using it in their laundry detergent, and they're using it in their dish soap. So it really can be found in so many parts of our home, and I think that to get rid of those conditions, you have to eliminate it. So... I don't know how much you know about SLS. I know a little bit. I've always wondered if it's like overhyped as a negative ingredient or what the actual mechanism of action of it having a negative impact on our body is. The thing that I think is interesting about it is that when in medicine you are trying to do a study about, let's say you create Liz Moody's skin healing cream, okay? And we want to test it. How do you think in those tests, they create the irritation that then needs to be soothed by your cream. I would assume they would find people with irritated skin and then try my cream on them. No. They need to create the irritation first and then soothe it. And they use SLS to create the irritation. Okay. So then if that's true, why Why are they putting that in our final product? So it is uh, an effective cleanser. And used in low concentrations, for some people, it's non-irritating. Technically, sodium laureth sulfate should be slightly less irritating than sodium laurel sulfate because sodium laureth sulfate is a slightly bigger molecule. But I find for people who are sensitive to it, any version of it is not okay. And so I think it's more like a cumulative low-level irritation that has happened for all of us over however many years you've been on Earth. You've been using SLS all that time, whether you know it or not. So just mildly irritating, mildly irritating, mildly irritating until it becomes maximally irritating. Until your skin is like, enough. You got to stop with this. And then what happens is I see a lot of people with dermatitis and I'm like, tell me about your shampoo. Tell me about your laundry detergent. And first they're like, well, I don't get my shampoo on my face. I'm like, okay, but you do. And you sleep on a pillowcase every night. The exposure is there. Then they'll say, oh, no, my detergent is free and clear. And that's a misunderstanding where they're thinking, okay, because it doesn't have dyes or perfumes in it, that it's also free of SLS. But it isn't. Even brands like 7th Generation use SLS, and a lot of SLS is now plant-derived and biodegradable, and there are better forms of SLS and worse forms of it. But my experience is that if you're sensitive to it, you need to eliminate it completely, at least for a period of time. And the hidden culprits for that, we have laundry detergent, dish soap. Okay, so let's start with that. Laundry detergent, do you have a favorite SLS-free brand? Molly Suds and Branch Basics. Dish soap. Molly Suds. Shampoo and conditioner. I like Innersense, Josh Rosebrook, Evolve. And they're just using a different form of soap, essentially? They're using a different surfactant. So a surfactant is something that makes bubbles. Okay. And that's if you have dermatitis or eczema, you want to kind of first step become an SLS detective. Yes. Okay. 
Do we have second steps? And also, are we treating dermatitis and eczema in largely the same way? And also, can you explain dermatitis to us? Yeah. So another word for eczema is atopic dermatitis. The word dermatitis means angry, irritated skin. Atopic means without a place, which is to say can happen anywhere. And that's why eczema is called atopic dermatitis because you can get it in your elbows, you can get it on your face, you can get it on your scalp, you can get it wherever. The specific brand of dermatitis that I deal most in is called perioral dermatitis. So perioral means around the mouth. And now that we talk about it, you'll see that there are so many people in your life who have it. So it's redness and angry skin around your nasolabial folds and down around your chin. It can look like acne and eczema had a baby on your face. So there are like breakout aspects to it, but then there's dry, tight, angry red skin as well. Okay. So all eczema is dermatitis, but not all dermatitis is eczema? I would call them close, like incestuously close cousins. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And are we treating them largely in the same way? Yes. Okay. Is there anything else that we're doing? We're an SLS detective. What is causing these? Is inflammation at the root? Is there other things at the root other than these outside factors? Are there other outside factors at the root? So when I talk specifically about perioral dermatitis, but it can extend into eczema as well, I think of it as a mathematical sum. So just like if I tell you you can get to the number 50 by adding 48 and 2 or 47 and 3 or 40 and 10 or 20 and 20 and 10. I mean, we can go on, right? That's what and dermatitis. That's the rest of the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a symptom. So the symptom is the sum of whatever the insults are that are adding up to that sum for you, Liz Moody. So for you, maybe it's your fluoride toothpaste plus hormones plus stress. For me, maybe it's the sodium lauryl sulfate plus stress. I'm going to say plus stress in every possible setting because plus stress is part of dermatitis almost always. So no matter what, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're interested enough in skin to be listening to this podcast, (laughs) you should put in place some sort of stress management system. It has to be an active stress management situation. It really does. It needs to become a priority. I'm actually curious. You have a business. You have two children. You have a husband who I assume wants attention sometimes. How do you make things like stress management a priority in your life? You know, nobody has the time for any of these things. No one has time for stress management. No one has time for exercise. No one has time to eat well. And you just have to make time. And so maybe there would be some friends of mine who would accuse me of being selfish, where I'm probably not going to go for like a social walk and talk hike with you for the most part. You did that with me. I did that with you. You're special. Also, though, when I invited you over for dinner, you were very straightforward of like dinner needs to be done by 930. Like I can come whenever you want me to come. But I love that you set the boundary of I need to leave by this time so I can go to sleep by a certain time. Sometimes that can be protecting your stress. And protecting it can feel selfish to certain friends in your life. And I guess that's what will define your friend group and your support group is Yeah, you have to just prioritize. It's all this priority systems every single day. What is my priority here? And I think a lot of people end up not doing stress management specifically. One thing I see a lot is that people say, oh, well, my run is my stress management. And I totally get that. And that's where I was for many, many years. But I think there is a different neurological process that happens when you sit still. 
So the moving meditation thing, I'm all for it. I do the moving meditation just about every day. I do something physical almost every day, but I also sit. They're different. It's an and, not an or. I think it is. How do we know what the components of our equation is? That's really hard. And I'm not great at math. Yeah. (laughs) So that's why I take this sort of shotgun spray approach and say, look, go through your products and wipe out SLS and synthetic fragrance in absolutely everything. Because the chances of those being at least fuel to the fire, if not the fire itself, are very high. So that's thing one. Same with stress. You got to start adding it in to your daily practices. This has to be important enough to you to try to manage your stress. And then you can, if those things don't work, which by the way, just cutting out SLS is enough for some people to completely get rid of their eczema. And that was a simple change. Then you can start talking about products. So One thing I see people doing a lot is putting heavier and heavier balms on, which makes sense. Like you've got this dry, dry, flaky skin and you're like, oh, but this stuff looks really serious. I'm going to slather this on. Eczema and dermatitis do not love straight up oils. They're actually begging for water and or water soluble ingredients like aloe. And so I see people slathering on these thick creams or slugging and putting petroleum jelly on their face, et cetera. And I'm like, you got to get water in this picture because that's what your dermatitis wants is water. And how do we do that? For people with dermatitis and eczema, stay away from straight oils. And when I say straight oils, I just mean we're not applying this to dry skin. So if you are going to use an oil or a balm, you want to apply it after either water or a hydrating layer like a toner, you know, a mist or something like that, or even just stepping right out of the shower. But to get water into our skin, we want to use glycerins and hyaluronic acid. Is that what you mean? Or do you mean our skin is wet and we trap in that wetness? All of the above. You can use something like a hyaluronic acid or a glycerin-based product. Or when you use a natural bar soap, you're using a lot of glycerin. Those are great because those are humectants. So they help draw water to your skin. Water itself is really powerful. So I love applying product to wet skin uh, when you get out of the shower. And then the heavy stuff you want to save for the top layer. And in the case of dermatitis and eczema, I would say I would skip the petroleum jelly layer in that case. I find that sometimes those super duper occlusive is too occlusive for those conditions. If you back it down one step and apply more products like a lotion that contains aloe, when I formulated our face lotion, I looked at the proportion. So most face creams would be about 65% water-soluble ingredients and 35% oil-soluble ingredients. Ours is closer to 75-76% water-soluble ingredients, and the main water-soluble ingredient is aloe, because I think aloe is like the skincare superhero of all time. And then a much lower percentage of oil-soluble ingredients. And why is aloe the main skincare superhero ingredient of all time? It's just has so many things. It has glucomannan and vitamin C that work together to do collagen support in multiple ways in terms of collagen formation and the collagen cross-linking. And it just is this very powerfully hydrating ingredient, much more so than water by itself. Is it anti-inflammatory too? Because I always picture putting it on after a sunburn. For sure, it is. Yes. It has bradykinins, which are an anti-inflammatory pathway ingredient. 
Okay. So if somebody's listening, and I'd say, first of all, probably recognizing that you have perioral dermatitis is like a really good step because it sounds like a lot of people might be experiencing those symptoms Mm -hmm. and having no idea what to call it. But if you're listening and you have eczema or you have any type of dermatitis type condition, what would be our first step, our first homework assignment? First homework assignment is to eliminate SLS from your life completely. Second would be to eliminate synthetic fragrance from your life completely. And by the way, on our blog, we have multiple blog posts where I have suggestions for your dishwasher, for your makeup, for your hair care, because people are like, well, what about this and what about this? So I try to compile it into a concise list of product recommendations for which I'm not compensated. So these are just things that I've tested and found have worked really well for a lot of people. It's also such an interesting point that I think often when we have skin conditions, we just want to look for a product that will help solve that skin condition. And if you're, say, layering a product on to try to solve that skin condition, but you're not eliminating the root cause of the irritation, you're not going to have success with the product, even if the product is great. Preach. I say that all the time because people leave reviews for this one product of ours for perioral dermatitis, and it's like, this cured my perioral dermatitis. And I'm like, okay, it helped. It helped you cure your perioral dermatitis. And you also did the homework. You also stopped using SLS, and you changed this, and you changed that, and you worked on your stress management, and you did the homework to find our blog, to find all of this information, and you took care of that. It is this whole picture pathway, always. Is it the black clay facial soap? Yep. (laughs) Okay. What about dry skin? I want to talk about dry skin because when I came to Colorado, I had the driest skin in the world and I was like, please help me. And you gave me tips, but also some miracle products. And also you blew my mind with two facts that I'd like you to speak to. (laughs) One, when we put oil on our skin, we don't want it to be damp skin. We want it to be like wet, wet skin. Mm -hmm. And then two, I've kind of stayed away from using oil in my facial products because I was like, oh, It's not actually hydrating me. And then you said you could mix it into like a moisturizer and then it is hydrating you. So I'd love you to speak to the science behind what's happening there. So a minute ago, I mentioned that moisturizers like a lotion are roughly 65% water, 35% oil. I love body oil because now you're not purchasing that 65% water. You're just using what's on your skin when you step out of the shower. But then you still want to try to hit that ratio. So You want a lot of water on your skin to mix with the oil that you're applying. The reason I love that is because you are doing the emulsifying with your hands while you're massaging the product into your skin. Anytime you have an emulsified product, there's an emulsifier ingredient, which is something that can either suspend oil in water or suspend water in oil, right? So it's like your salad dressing. Your salad dressing either will separate into two layers or not. If it's emulsified, it's going to stay in this in-between state where it's one sort of phase. Your skincare will have like a mustard in it. Right. Exactly. But if you don't use an emulsifier, it'll separate. So the emulsifier is really it's not so much a skincare ingredient that's necessary for the health of your skin. It's more just to keep the product itself in a state of emulsification so that you don't have to shake your skincare every time you use it. The other thing that you have to add to a lotion is preservation. When people are trying to use fewer ingredients on their skin and or more natural ingredients on their skin, you have to preserve a skincare cream. And I am all about the natural ingredients. I'm also about safe skincare. And an unpreserved product is not safe. When you use a body oil, you don't have to add a preservative because oil itself is not going to grow mold or bacteria. It's water that provides a home for mold and bacteria. 
So by putting oil on wet skin when you get out of the shower, you have eliminated the need for an emulsifier and for preservation, and you're only paying for the oil and you're providing the water yourself. And you're probably having less of an eco footprint because you're shipping literally less product. But the important thing here is that we are by and large putting oil on too dry of skin. And that's why we're not seeing the results that we want. That's right. So you talked about the barrier layer. So people, I think, think that the skin barrier is actually a structure. It isn't. It's referring to the stratum corneum for the most part, which is the most superficial layer of your epidermis, which is the outer layer of your skin, which includes the dermis. So it's the outermost layer of the outermost layer is the barrier layer. So within the stratum corneum, you have dead skin cells. And this is the thing about makes me crazy on social is like you have to get rid of the dead skin cells. And I'm like, well, but you don't because they're there for a reason and they're doing their job. But it feels so fresh like a baby's butt when you get rid of them. It does. And it's okay to do it a little, right? So exfoliation is a process that happens naturally without any help. As you get older, sometimes it happens a little bit less, like the cycle gets a little slower. And so it's nice then to just help it along, right? But doing it every day is disastrous for your skin. I always say when you are over exfoliating, what you're doing is essentially sending skin cells that are nucleated to the surface of your skin. You're sending a toddler to the office to do your job. And it's not ready for that role yet because it is still a lower layer skin cell and it isn't ready yet to be in the roof shingle layer of a job. How often would you say is okay to exfoliate? I say usually one to two times a week and depending on the type of exfoliation and how you're doing it. And I also see people being really aggressive. I am not against mechanical exfoliation if it's done with respect and kindness for your skin. If you're scrubbing your face like it's your toilet, it's a problem. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. I've loved, loved, loved the Osea Andaria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin, and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy, these micro-relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. 
Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. And I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare-level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order, and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to OSEAMalibu.com, promo code LizMoody. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. I've loved, loved, loved the Osea Andaria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin, and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy, these micro-relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. And I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare-level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order, and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to OSEAMalibu.com, promo code LizMoody. Okay, so the barrier layer, how does that relate to the oils and the moisture? Great. I love how you never lose a thread because I would lose the thread. So the barrier layer has in it the flat, pancakey, dead corneocyte skin cells. And in between those, which is sort of the glue that holds those cells together, 
are both water molecules and fat molecules. So the fat molecules are things like ceramides and various lipids, and there are water molecules. So when you are providing the fats, you also need to provide the waters to plump that layer a little bit. And that's what's going to give you a juicy barrier layer. You can't just keep plumping the fats. You have to plump the water so that you're getting this nice, cushy top layer of skin. And the water molecules are going to penetrate deeper because the oil molecules are going to be bigger. So that's why water first, your skin starts to drink it up, slap the oil on top, and we're just trying to seal in that moisture that you've just added to your barrier layer. So when you're applying oil to your skin, literally like dripping wet from the shower. Dripping wet from the shower. I find that a little bit less practical with facial products because most of the time we're putting our facial products on, you're getting out and you've got your hair is kind of in the picture and you're maybe trying to get stuff done or get out the door or whatever. And so I, you know, say, look, if it's really damp for your facial products, okay. And also then is that where putting the oil into the moisturizer comes into play? Yeah. So I call that egging. I prefer egging to slugging. Egging is when you take, let's say, two pumps of your moisturizer and then drop two or three drops of pure oil into the moisturizer. And that just helps, again, with that ratio. For some people where you're really dealing with the eczema dermatitis skin type, you wait until your barrier layer is a little bit healed before doing the egging thing. But for most people who are not dealing with those, that's a really nice addition to your skincare routine. And it just helps push those water-soluble ingredients into the skin and really seal them in. Anything else we should be doing for the barrier layer? Backing it up to nutrition and hydration status. I know there's a lot of back and forth about whether hydration actually matters for your skin. I think that a reasonable layer of effective hydration matters. People walk around with the gallon jugs of water sometimes. That might be a lot and it's just water. Whereas drinking something that has some electrolytes, et cetera, can help your body hold that hydration and turn your little skin cells from raisins into grapes. So I think that is valid, just like the essential fatty acids, the good fats, et cetera, for your skin will help with the barrier layer also. And do you think that the hype about the barrier layer right now is warranted? No. Why? Because guess what your skin is? A barrier. That's what it is. And so it's just this super trending like way of talking about skin that makes everyone think there's been this new discovery called the barrier layer. But it's always been that. So it's just really how can you support your skin in doing its job? And that's really the difference. People are like, I have to fix my barrier layer. I have to this. I have to that. I have to go get this ceramide cream, et cetera. I'm like, well, jojoba oil has tons of ceramides. So does sunflower oil. They're naturally occurring ceramides rather than isolated in lab ceramides, but they work the same. So no, you don't have to rush out and get this special cream for this. You just need to help your skin do its job. I think that the barrier layer thing, the hype around it is coming as a reaction to the fact that we've spent years like stripping, stripping exfoliating, it. and people are looking for an easy way to encapsulate the sentiment of we need to support our skin health. We need to protect it and heal it versus strip it and remove things from it. If that's what it takes to get the memo across people's desks, that's great. I'm in support of that because it's true. I mean, I think that we spend far too much time punishing our skin and not enough time nourishing our skin. You don't use the word anti-aging in any of your skincare. Talk to mm -hmm. me about why. I think that watching my mom die so young recalibrated that for me. 
I realize now that I would like to age. <laughs> and the alternative, the idea of not aging feels bad to me. So the question is how to do it in a way where you feel good. It's definitely some dicey territory and it's tricky conversation to have because we're human and we're all vain. And that's just the truth of it. So it's a question of how you can recalibrate your expectations and also ask yourself what's important. How do you do that, though? Because I know that the alternative to aging is death. And I think I've come a really long way in my own perspective on aging. But sometimes I'll just be like driving in my car and I'll have that flash of like, oh, my God, I'm never going to be 25 again. Oh, my God, I'm never going to experience this time in my life or the world experiencing me this way. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Yes, it is. How do I do it? (laughs) (laughs) It's just something you're going to choke on a little bit from time to time. And accepting that is okay too. I think I usually start events with a little exercise. You want to do it with me? Sure. Okay. I want you to close your eyes. So with your eyes closed, I want you to picture another person. This person can be living or not. This person can be any age. This person can be close to you, with you in your daily life. This person can be far away. But this is a person who has had a really meaningful, positive impact in your life. Do you have your person? Okay. Now I want you to picture a specific moment with that person. Pick one. I know it's going to be hard, but just pick one and picture the details about that moment. You got it? Okay. Open your eyes. Did you picture that person's crow's feet? No. Did you picture that person's cellulite? No. Did you picture that person's gray hair? No. Right. And so that's where my perspective check happens for me all the time, where I think, God, you're being so critical of yourself about something that no one's going to remember. You're the only one who cares about this. And what matters is how you show up in your life. And I realize that's idealistic. But I think that one of the keys to success in the department of acceptance is accepting the work in progressness of being human. You're not going to get there. I have gray hair. I have wrinkles. I don't wake up every day and say, my God, you're fabulous. There's nothing I would change. I don't do that. It's a constant work in progress. But I do think there's a level of cognitive behavioral therapy that you can do for yourself every day where you look in the mirror and you hear whatever the negative thing is that comes up and you go, okay, I acknowledge that you're over there in that corner of the room. I'm going to turn my attention back and I'm going to say something kind to myself. I'm going to say your hair is on point today. I'm going to say your bicep vein is popping today. Whatever it is that you appreciate about your appearance that day, I'm going to say that positive thing to myself. And eventually, the icky voice gets kind of shamed out of the room. It is a behavior first, cognition second type of action. What about appearance? I mean, I know this doesn't matter at all. I don't spend a lot of time in bars anymore. I feel like if I went to a bar now, I'd get hit on less than if I went to a bar when I was 22. And that bums me out a little bit. So what about the other people's perception of our appearance who aren't our loved ones, who aren't appreciating our best qualities, but we just want like the stranger on the street to think we're hot still for our own 
validation and self-worth. I mean, I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm like, is the answer that I need to work on my self-worth so I don't need the outside validation? What's your take there? Yes, it is the answer. And yes, we're all doing it. I mean, I just turned 50. And that whole process has been happening for me for the last decade, where you recognize like, well, I'm not turning any heads in this room. And okay. Like, it's just something you got to work through. And, you know, we could tap into a whole conversation about the patriarchy here. And, you know, why do I care about turning someone's head? This is... And like George Clooney is celebrated as he gets his gray hair. Totally. Yeah. And I'm just trying to help equalize that, right? By being a model for like growing in my gray hair and trying my best to be accepting of the changes that naturally happen with aging. I'm so mad at the fear around aging because we all just have enough fear already in our lives every single day. And by creating this culture of fear around <gasps> getting older and having a wrinkle, I think of it as what if someone told you right now that oxygen is toxic? But you have to breathe every day. But you have to breathe it every day. Aging is the thing we're all doing. We're all doing it. And it's Actually, when you do that exercise about what are you going to remember about someone, it's so dumb. The things that we're obsessing about are so dumb. I think aging for a lot of people isn't necessarily about how they look and how they're being perceived, but like my back hurts. I don't feel like I'm going to be able to do the things that I want to do. I'm not going to be able to think as well as I want to think. This new technology is going to get past me, whatever. Like not feeling like they're in the prime of their lives physically and mentally. And you have this post on Instagram where you share these mantras about not only are these things not declining, but they're getting better. Do you think that's true from a scientific perspective? Are you trying to go against the science so that you believe it and it's in contrast to that? Or do you think there's actually a scientific merit to those mantras? Both. I think what I'm trying to do is create a mindset around aging that I then live into. Because I think you have to start with mindset for every single thing, right? This is like your work in the world. How can we shift our mindset and frame things for ourselves? If you frame aging like, oh, one step closer to the grave, or I'm going to get weaker, I'm going to get smaller, I'm going to get shorter, it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, is there truth in the fact that my 50-year-old body is in some way diminished? I mean, but what other piece of equipment have you had for 50 years that you've been driving around in every day and had so few problems with? I have arthritis in my thumb now, which I was like surprised by. That just happened in the last three or four months. And like I can't open a jar sometimes or I have to change the position of my thumb or I'm putting my hair up in a ponytail and my thumb grips and really hurts. And at first I sort of push back against it. And I'm like, I'm too young for this. What's going on? And then I try to just incorporate. Just say, okay, body, it's like with your skin. I hear you. There's some sort of inflammation or something. There's pain at this point. How can I accommodate you and do my best with it? I use my father-in-law for inspiration a lot. He's 87 and has had more things removed than seem humanly possible. But we were talking to him on the phone one day and asking him how he was feeling. And his attitude, I had to write this quote down, was so great. He said, eh, you know, when your legs don't work, your arms become twice as important. And I thought a lot of it is mindset. The mantras, you know, 
Yeah, I actually do feel pretty good at 50. I feel strong and I feel capable, maybe more so than I was when I was 20. But if I am losing something in the biological department, have I gained something in the cognitive department that allows me to train smarter, that allows me to tune into my body more accurately and say, oh, you know what? I don't actually need to push through today. I actually do need a rest day. Or, you know, no, you can go hard today. Your whoop is saying you're 93% recovered. So go ahead. Don't make excuses. Let's do this. It's such a good point that so much of the societal messaging is about the things that we're losing as we age. And to counteract that with as many messages about the things that we're gaining can be really helpful. And we're not really getting those messages from anywhere. So we kind of have to do that ourselves. We do. And I'll tell you, it's hard to do it as a skincare brand. And I think in a way, I've probably slowed the growth of the brand with my adherence to my internal code of marketing ethics. Do you have any pragmatic things? So there's the exercise that you shared, but do you have any other pragmatic things that we can do to begin to assuage a fear of aging? I think acceptance is really a big piece of it. There isn't anything you can do except for the things you can do. So you are going to age. Hopefully, you'll have the privilege of aging. Every day, you can ask yourself, what am I doing to support my body in this process that we're going through together? And you can use that to say, what am I going to put in my body today that's going to be fuel, that's going to optimize my biological functions? What am I going to do to optimize my joy and my sort of desire to connect with other people. It's a long list of questions you can ask yourself about how can I support my body in this process? Because you just can't undo it. You can't not age. I think that we have to show up for ourselves and being honest about, am I showing up for myself? Am I doing the things I can do? And then accepting the changes that come with aging. And it's a blend of those two things. It's such a powerful point that if we don't accept aging, we're essentially in a constant battle with our own minds and our own bodies. And if we do accept it, then we can be a partner in our own minds and our own bodies. Totally. I'm trying to partner with my body in this process that is unstoppable, but we can change what it looks like. And part of that is those mantras and the mindset stuff and just saying, I believe this can happen. And if you get 60% of the way there, great. Can you just leave us with one homework assignment if we want to have the healthiest, happiest skin possible, and one homework assignment if we want to feel as good as possible about the inevitability of aging. Homework assignment for skin. I think our point that we made earlier about swapping out your body care products. Let's take care of 91% of the ingredients you're putting on your skin and make them as healthy as possible. Okay. And then aging. And then aging, I think it is a little bit of a fake it till you make it thing. Again, it's the behavior before the cognition and don't expect the cognition to change quickly because the messaging is deep and long. We've all been taught these things about getting old is terrible and women need to look a certain way and blah, blah, blah. It's just going to take a long time to undo that. But you have to put the work in if you want to undo it. The work is being kinder to yourself in the mirror. It's thinking a positive thing about your body or your capability or your mind and its ability to continue to be creative and come up with new ideas. It's 
really shifting to the positive. And I'm not one of these like, just be positive people. I accept that there's a lot of negativity that we have to fend off and negativity that's coming from inside us that we have to navigate. It's going to be there. You can't just call it a failure when it happens. You have to say, okay, I see you. I got it. Can you give us just one or two mantras if we wanted to start with something? Yeah, I say, I believe that my body and my mind can get stronger, healthier, and more flexible as I get older. And then a second one is just that I believe my spirit. And for me, that's just my ability to be present and connected, which is something I struggle with sometimes, can get stronger, healthier, and more flexible as I get older. Can you tell us a little bit about where people can find you on the internet and anything else that you want to highlight? Yeah, we are Osmia Skincare on all social platforms, and that's our website as well. And I guess I would just say that if you are having difficult moments with your skin, to be patient. And our team is like super versed in a lot of these conditions. So I hope people will reach out to us via email. If you reach out to us via Instagram, you're probably talking to me because (laughs) I run our Instagram for the most part. I connect this to my practice of medicine. And ultimately, people are like, are you sad that you left medicine? I'm like, but I kind of didn't. I feel like I've been able to help more people with their skin, which while superficial, still really affects how you think about yourself and how you interact with the world every day. And nothing makes me happier than working with someone and getting the email that says, I feel comfortable leaving my house without makeup for the first time in years. That's like such a win for someone to say, I'm going to wear makeup because I feel like it, not because I feel like I have to. Love that. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I love this conversation. Thank you for having me. I love Sarah's aging mantras. I've been using them for myself and they genuinely help. She has such a powerful message to share. So please send a link to this episode to all of the women in your life. Also, I want to be incredibly clear that this episode is not at all sponsored. I just love Sarah's brain and I wanted to share all of her amazing knowledge with you. But I am also obsessed with Osmia's products, so they are a podcast sponsor, and you might hear my ads for them on other episodes. Because of that, I do have a code. You can use Liz Moody to get 20% off anything on their site, and you can search by skincare condition. So I hope that helps you save some money if you are interested. If someone shared a link with you to this podcast, if you are new here, welcome. I am so glad that you're here. Make sure that you're following on whatever platform you like to listen on. All you have to do is go to the main podcast page. That's the one that lists all of the Liz Moody podcast episodes, and you will see the word follow under the logo on Spotify. And then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page on Apple Podcasts. This way, you will not miss out on any new episodes. They will appear right in your feed every single Wednesday. And you do not want to miss out because we have some very exciting ones coming up, like an episode with the leading researchers on relationships and the founders of couples therapy as we know it, Drs. John and Julie Gottman. Also, do not forget to go to 100waystochangeyourlife.com to snag a copy of my brand new book, which is officially a USA Today national bestseller. Thanks to every single one of you. I appreciate you so much and I love you. And I will see you next Wednesday for the next episode of the Liz Moody podcast. Mom. 
Money was such a source of anxiety for me for a long time. I'm always talking about building good, healthy habits, but I didn't have any when it came to financial wellness. Once I started getting educated about my money, I began to feel empowered about it. And pretty soon I was like, how did I let this cause me so much anxiety for so long? If you are struggling just like I was, you need to check out YNAB. YNAB is an app that teaches a set of simple money habits to help you spend, save, and give without guilt or second guessing. It's one of the apps that experts I talk to recommend over and over because it's grounded in techniques that you won't see anywhere else that actually work. You start off by learning four simple core habits that are actually genius and have completely changed the way that I think about money. And then it guides you through saving so you are never caught off guard by a surprise expense again, so you feel safe and secure with money. But maybe more importantly, it also helps you fit the things that you love into your spending plan so that you know you have the money for that bachelorette party or that weekend getaway that you've been dreaming of. Also, and I love this, you can add up to six users to one account. So if you manage money as roommates or with your partner, it has got you covered. It has incredibly high ratings on all platforms and has become a huge cult hit because it's helped millions of people actually build the financial life of their dreams, even people who truly thought it was impossible. Check out YNAB and learn the habits with a one-month free trial, no credit card required, at www.yabb.com ynab.com slash Liz Moody. You'll get a month completely free and be able to see for yourself what a big difference it makes. I promise you're going to get back way more than you spend. That's www.ynab.com slash Liz Moody.